Hey, Young and Profiters, it's Hala. As our avid listeners know, one of my favorite ways to kick off the show is to read the reviews we're getting off Apple, CastBox, YouTube, and any platform that enables you to leave a review. This week, I'm celebrating reaching over 10,000 subscribers on CastBox. Shout out to everyone who left us a review in celebration, Matt Quant, Isabella Vo, Kate P, Celine Conti, Stephanie Garnica, and so many more. Here are three reviews I want to shout out off CastBox. This one is from John Nguyen. Halataha does her research on all her guests, which elevates her podcast to another level. Well done, Hala. And this one is from Judith Kriston. Yap has so much value. Worth the listen. And lastly, from Jonid Iqbal. This is such an amazing podcast. Hala gets amazing guests and asks them insightful questions. Definitely a podcast worth listening to. To everyone out there, if you enjoy the show, the best way to thank us is to leave us a five-star review on Apple or your favorite platform. And if you can't leave a review, share your thoughts on social. Take a screenshot of you listening on your favorite podcast app and tag us on Instagram stories at Hala or LinkedIn at Halataha. I'll definitely reshare the post and I can't wait to hear what you think about the show. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Halataha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Today on the show, we're chatting with Dolores Hirschman, an internationally recognized strategist, clarity coach, TEDx organizer, speaker, and author. She has over 20 years of experience helping entrepreneurs, companies, and organizations realize their potential by guiding them to clarity, helping them to define their core idea, message, and market strategy needed to reach the next level of growth. As a speaker coach, Dolores guides speakers to go from successful professionals to thought leaders in their field. She's a TEDx organizer and has authored two books on effective communication, Stand Out the TED Way and 18 Minutes of Impact. In this episode, we'll uncover the difference between what you do and what you stand for. We'll get Dolores' insight on how to gain better clarity in your life, and we'll learn key tips for nailing your next speaking engagement. Hey, Dolores, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you so much for having me today. So for those out there who don't know much about you, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners and share a bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So I am a clarity coach. What does that mean? I help people clarify their idea worth sharing the the message that will have an impact in the world and clarify the way to scale their business. Awesome. And so from my understanding, you work with speakers, entrepreneurs, authors, and executives, and you really clarify or help to clarify their message. Based on our research, 
I learned that you really found this true purpose and this expertise in terms of clarity and providing clarity to others in life. When you immigrated to the U.S., you were just 25 years old, you were a newlywed, and some of those personal experiences and things that you went through helped you realize that providing clarity is really your true calling in life. Could you unpack that for us and share that story with us and how you came to be such an expert? Absolutely. So I'm originally from Argentina. That's where my accent is. Spanish is my first language. And yes, I came to the U.S. I married my husband, who's American, uh, at the age of 25. And I you know, immediately we didn't live in a city, so I couldn't have access to like the traditional corporate job. I have a background in business and I soon became a mom by the age of 27. So it was kind of a mix of, of what can I do while I'm a mom? And I did what most of us will do is like, what's in front of me. And so I took different jobs and in the trajectory of becoming a mom of four, working for a nonprofit, then starting my own businesses, at the age of 38, I was like, what am I all about? Like I was, lo- I was confused. And I went back to school, I started coaching and studying coaching gave me kind of the tools to start unpacking myself in some ways and to start finding clarity in my journey. Because I think that we, it comes a, a moment in our lives where we look back, especially if you're a creative or you are, don't have a traditional career path that you look back and you're like, what am I all about? I've done this, I've done that, but nothing makes sense. And when I was doing that process of exploration and launching my coaching business, I realized that in one way or another, whether I was five years old, because I asked my mom and my siblings, or at the age of 30 or 40 in my different jobs, I was always playing a role of pulling pieces apart to understand the whole so that I could build a new version of whatever it was. And so I decided to apply this to a place where I've always found a lot of ease and satisfaction, which is speaking, messaging, and entrepreneurship as a whole. So today I really work with service entrepreneurs, many of which feel like they are one more of a many, one more coach, one more accountant, one more consultant. And I help them understand how they are unique, how to communicate that uniqueness and stand out and grow their business based on that. Yeah, that's really cool. And it reminds me of something that I talk to a lot of my guests about, which is a lot of young people, they they feel like they don't know how to discover their talents. And it's kind of always like right under their nose. Like, for example, you know, you may be really good at designing a room or like, you know, setting up a room really nicely. And it's a talent that you have and kind of everybody knows it. But you internally haven't realized that like you're supposed to be an interior designer or, or whatever the example might be. And so for you, it was this clarity. People said that you're really good at finding clarity and helping to distill down to the really meaningful parts. And then you've based a whole business around that. So that's really cool. Yeah. And and how that came about, because, you know, you get to almost the last mile. And as you say, the, the last mile of clarity is under your nose. You cannot see it. And so when I was 40 and launching my coaching business after I had become a coach, I was doing great. I loved it. But I felt there was something missing. Like I felt like there was a piece that I was missing something. So I asked myself, what would I do all day for free? And the answer to that was I would hang out with people with really big ideas. And back then I had already been a TEDx organizer. And in doing so as a volunteer, 
I realized how much I enjoyed and that I did have kind of a skill set to help our speakers that we're putting on stage distill their message to their true essence so they could build their talks from the idea out instead of from the story in. Yeah. And that's another important point that you just mentioned, the fact that you were willing to, you volunteered, you did it for free. And that experience led you to realize that, hey, I can actually, you know, make a living and love doing this for a living. And I think that's super important. A lot of people think I'm too good to intern or too good to work for free. I personally interned for free for three years at a radio station, and that's how I fell in love with radio. So I think it's very important to get those experiences and find out what you're good at and what you like to do. Yes. And there's nothing that brings clarity more than action. True. So let's get more of an insight in terms of your perspective on clarity. I was listening to a couple interviews that you were on and you described in one interview that clarity is like an onion. (laughs) Um, So when I think of clarity, I, I really think of like one thing, you're like laser focused on one thing, but I guess that's not your understanding. Can you uh, tell us more about this onion representation? Yes. And so it goes along with action is that we can only take action on what we are, have some level of clarity right now. And as we take that action, it will be revealed the next layer of clarity. You know, some people, especially young people, I have a daughter who's 19, who's like, oh, mama, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I said to her, like, What is it that excites you right now? You might not define what you're going to be doing at at the age of 40. By taking action on that, that you do have clarity right now, then you're going to be peeling one layer of the onion all the way that you get to the essence of your work. I mean, it's okay if it takes you a few years to find your thing. I feel like right now I'm in a really good place. I love what I do, but I know that I'm not even close to being done. I'm I mean, I am loving what I do, and I know that this work will reveal another layer of me that when I get there, I will have clarity of what that is. I don't know what it is right now. So it's more important to just have clarity like in the moment rather than trying to think about the future. It's more about like, what do you feel is right right now and take action upon that? That's kind of your viewpoint about it? Exactly, except that, of course, you have to have a through line that it's kind of tied with maybe a big, big dream. And so it's not completely random, but it is about getting to the dream space takes a lot of layers of accomplishment that might you might not know how you're going to, I don't know, make that million dollar whatever business, but you might know what, what to do right now that will be conducive to that bigger dream. So the bigger dream is still there and it is a through line. But the clarity of what to do right now can only be within the context of your reality right now. Why do you think that people have such a hard time having clarity? They're looking for absolute certainty and clarity. Like right now, we're in kind of strange times. And people are asking like, well, I need to know. I need to know. Are my kids going to go back to school? Am I going to go back to work? And there's no answers. And I think for a while, the first few months of this pandemic, we were all kind of frozen because we'd rather not take action because we don't know. But now I think you're starting to see a shift where people are saying, okay, I need to take some action, I need to make some plan, I need to budget something, make decisions, even though I have no answers or the government has no answers. It's almost like when you are driving at night, you drive a car at 60 miles per hour, 
and the only thing you can see is what your headlights will show you. And you don't know there's a road, you, there's an experience of there being a road in the past, and you typically don't slow down. You don't even think about it. You just drive. We don't do the same with life. We sometimes, if we only see as far as our, our headlights, if we only see as far as the next year or the next month, we tend to feel that's not safe. So we rather, you know, lean back and not move forward, not take action. Yeah. So we at Young and Profiting Podcast, like we're like all about actionable steps in order to improve ourselves. We're all about action, right? So let's just take me for an example. I'll give you a scenario and maybe you can give me some advice on how I can get more clarity. So for me, like, opportunity is abound. This podcast is really blowing up. I I started it two years ago. It was a small hobby. You know, now I have thousands of listeners. We're a number one how-to podcast. I've got a huge following on LinkedIn, one of the biggest influencers on there. And now all of a sudden, all these opportunities are coming my way. I work full-time at Disney streaming services and I'm being internally recruited for like another position that's really interesting On top of that, I'm starting a marketing agency and without trying, it's like specifically for podcasters. I've got all of these big podcasters that want my services like without even really trying and I'm scaling my team and trying to figure out how I can accommodate those podcasters and and launch those services. And so I've got all these options, but I obviously can't do, I'm not superwoman. I'm trying my best to be, but you know, it's just a lot. And I'm like, you know, starting to feel like I'm going to burn out if I don't choose not to do something, right? How can I be clear on which thing I should let go of? What kind of lifestyle do you want to have 10 years from now? Definitely money is a driver. That's not the only driver, but it's like I work really hard. And so I want to be very successful and compensated for what I do. I also want to be able to have like a voice and be able to help people and provide like self-improvement. So like I know for a fact, like I don't want to get rid of the podcast. I knew that. It's more of like balancing this corporate job or becoming an entrepreneur. Like that's like where like I feel like I'm just like at a crossroads. Yeah. So I think it's important for you to clarify what does that look like in 10 years and just make a list. Like what does your ideal day look like? Just give me a Tuesday 10 years from now. And what are you having for breakfast? Where are you having breakfast? Like I want you to like write it down as if it were a journal on present tense. That's going to give you a lot of insight of what you're working toward. Kind of what I said, like you kind of need a through line dream and then you'll be able to get clear of what needs to happen next. And then you need to kind of make a list of what is the position. So if we're speaking honestly, your dream, I'm assuming, will be to be an independent, financially abundant entrepreneur that has an impact and a voice with a platform. Yeah, that's that sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and so the question there is, what are the levers? What are the, the tools that you could use to get there and get there faster in the least effort, right? Why not? And so as far as your corporate career, you want to look at it at how much value can I add to this corporate career while they keep on adding value, you have a great brand behind you. Disney's a great brand. So how far can you add value to them while they are add value to you as a personality, as a, as a personal brand, right? And when is the limit where that's not going to add 
anymore. It's, in economics, is the, the diminishing return, right? When we are hungry, when we are thirsty, the first drop of water is huge, and then it's going to be a diminishing return. We will stop being thirsty. So when is it that your corporate path will stop adding value to your personal brand? Mm. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I'm being very honest and strategic here in that you want to be partnering with a brand and give it your best because they will position you just by their association. Yeah. And then there's a moment where there's not going to be a lot more return on that investment of time and you will be ready to move on. Yeah, I think you make a great point. Here's one thing I want to make sure that you understand and is that because I've, I run businesses, I've sold businesses. And the truth is there's two parts to you scaling to the level that you want in, in financial abundance and is understanding business in such a way that you are extraneous to you making a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. So because you eventually want to manage a very profitable set of businesses that don't depend on you showing up on a podcast every day. Totally. And it might be premature to have that conversation, but when you can start creating a brand that is bigger than you and that you can have a systems and a team that can run, for example, your podcast, your marketing agency part, you should be able to run that almost without you. And that's all about system. That's what I just did when I sold my business, one of my businesses. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who wanna try LinkedIn ads. You can get a $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you wanna make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, it's so true. That's the most important part. And that's the hardest part is just to get systems in place where you're not the only reviewer and approver and need to be involved in every single decision. That's how things become really stressful really fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that we do. So Right now, while I share that I help people clarify their message, the truth is, Masters in Clarity, I own, I mean, most of my time is spent on outside facing conversations with podcasts and stages. 90% of the work is done with, by my team. Wow. Because I have systems. And we now are doing systems for our, our clients 
so that they can double the size of their businesses without them using more of their time. That's one of the things that we're doing right now. That's very cool. So let's get back to clarity. One thing that uh, one of my researchers brought up to me when we were talking about you, he, Shiv was telling me, what about if like you're just too attached to your clarity and you run the risk of overfitting and your outcome that you want is so clear when you need to pivot or when an opportunity comes your way, you actually don't see it because you're just too clear on your end goal. How can we have clarity, but be nimble enough to pivot when we need to? Yes. So that's the difference between talking about what you do and talking about what you stand for. So when you're anchored in what you stand for, it's much easier to pivot than focusing on this is what I do. For example, if I were to say I'm a speaker, I only speak on live stages because I like to shake hands. That's great. I have so much clarity. That's all I do come COVID, you're screwed, right? And so is it about speaking on stages and shaking people's hands or is it about helping people, I don't know, shift their mindset so they can have a bigger life? So understanding the difference between what you do and what is the idea behind your work is what will let you shift how you do it when something happens. It's the doing that doesn't change, that is harder to change, but if you're clear on what is the ultimate outcome um, and the ultimate outcome is, is usually less tangible, then you will find another path to achieve that outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's not necessarily what you're doing in the moment. It's the underlying purpose of it all. Yeah. So if you let's think about a company like Amazon. I mean, I remember when Amazon started because it was 1997 because I had been already working on digital spaces. And in 1997, I know you were a baby. Uh, in 1997, what they did at that time was they were a bookstore. They were the place where you would find books that were hard to find. But their proprietary system or the main pattern was about easy payment online, which back then was very cumbersome. And they patented something called one-click pay. So if you think of Amazon, you really think about buying something really easily. They don't care what they sell. <laughs> right now, they'll sell you a cow. Like this. Yeah. They will sell you anything on Amazon because what their proprietary system is, is the ease of buying something online. And so they've changed stuff, but the core stayed. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. The other thing I want to talk about is the law of attraction related to clarity. And so er, there's this quote by a famous novelist. His name is Paulo Coelho. He's from Brazil, which is, you probably know of him. And he says, when you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. And so when it comes to clarity, do you believe in when it comes to like a phenomenon with law of attraction and like metaphysical views and things like that, Dick, do you have any, any perspective on that? Absolutely. We cannot accomplish what we don't know we want or know what it looks like. You've heard about vision boards or mental rehearsing practiced by athletes a lot. Um, I remember when I was preparing for one of my TEDx events, I was really clear of the experience I wanted to have. I even had 
the dress I wanted to wear in my head. I, didn't, I hadn't found it. <laughs> but I just, it was so clear to me in my imagination what that day would feel like and what it would look like to the point that the dress I was thinking just showed up on my feet and I bought it and it was perfect and it worked, right? And so absolutely, it's like when we know what we want, we can start leaning back and allowing it to show up and follow the signs. It's it's, yeah. it's this confusion that generates that mixed or confused vibration, energetic vibration, and it it rejects that that we want. Yeah, it's like basically allowing like your subconscious to allowing you to make decisions without even realizing it that brings you closer to your goals. I feel like that's the power in the law of attraction when you know exactly what you want. You say it out loud, you repeat it all the time, you really believe it, you feel like you already have it. And then I feel like the world really opens up. That's what I've, based on my experiences, anytime I really believe that something is gonna happen, the universe kind of just opens up and allows things to happen and brings opportunity in. Absolutely, and you become, uh, there's a great book from Dana Wilde called Train Your Brain. And she talks about something called unconscious ignorance. And it's this concept that when we don't know what we want and you don't even know that it's possible, even if that thing was in front of you, you wouldn't recognize it because your brain is not trained to look for it. But when we're clear what we want, we start looking for hints or ways to get there. And so we won't miss the signs that will point us in the right direction. That's really cool. I've never heard of that. It's called unconscious ignorance. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Train the Brain is the name of the book and Dana Wilde is the author. Very cool. Maybe I'll try to get her on the podcast. Oh, I, I could do an email intro. Oh, that'd be awesome. Okay, so let's move on to your expertise around preparing for public speaking engagements like TED Talks. You're the author of 18 Minutes of Impact, Move Your Audience to Action the TED Way. What was your motivation to write that? So after volunteering, as I was sharing, I recognized a couple of things. I recognized that even seasoned speakers struggled with effective communication. And I also recognized that audiences were hungry for clear, crisp ideas, not long conversations that left them confused. And so I decided to use everything I learned coaching TEDx speakers and put it in a book to teach anybody who is addressing audiences in, for any purposes, in any stages, to help them kind of organize their thoughts in a cohesive way by sharing my seven steps to write your talk process that really works in meeting the audience where you, they are and taking them on a journey, introducing the topic that you're expert on. Yeah. And so I'm going to dig deep into all the different things that you talk about in this book. One of the big points is that people need to know what their idea is and know how to explain that idea in a short and concise way. First of all, why is it so difficult for people to kind of boil down what they want to talk about in a concise way? And how does that hold them back from having a good speaking engagement? Yeah, so let me give you a very specific example that probably you and your listeners have all experienced it because it's not that hard. You go to a networking event and someone says, what do you do? And you proceed to explain exactly what you do to the detail of how you do it, right? Well, I work with people twice a week and I coach them on X, Y, Z, and then they go on my honor program, which I love to, blah, blah, blah. 
people get glazy eyes, they don't listen to you and they kind of like shut down. But when you, someone says, what do you do? And you say, I help people move from point A to point B. And then you close your mouth and you let it sink in and let them get curious and ask for more. Now you hook them and now you're in a conversation. So that to sinness and clarity that is focused on exactly what problem you solve is what people are looking to hear. Because I believe that we are humans and that we are walking around the world with these antennas in our head. And those antennas are attuned to anything that we are suffering from. Let's say, you know how you, have you ever heard or have you ever had a girlfriend or someone who's pregnant and all of a sudden, like they see everybody is pregnant and they are just like attuned to anything baby related or a couple of years ago, we got a puppy and the puppy was like, oh my God, it was a mess. And so I, all of a sudden, if there was a post or some comment or something on puppy training, my antenna would go up and I would click on it, right? Mm, so yeah. it's, it's kind of like the same thing that we we're just talking about, the unconscious ignorance. It's just, you want to communicate in a way that you can match the antennas if the antennas are tuned to how you solve a problem or what problem you solve, more to the point. And so most people don't do that. Most people focus on all of the work. Like people would say, well, I've developed a, a proprietary methodology that does X, Y, Z. It doesn't matter that you developed a proprietary methodology. That might matter later when I'm curious about it. But just tell me exactly what problem you solve in the world and let me get curious and ask you more questions. Mm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's basically like getting them engaged by not giving away too much information and only giving them the most powerful thing that they would be interested in. Exactly. And then let that sink in and then let them say, oh, that is very interesting. Tell me more. And then you go into as deep as you want to go. In marketing, there's a way of looking at marketing that's called push and pull, right? You probably know this. Mm-hmm. Push is when you're pushing information down people's throats. Pull is when you create an environment where the market is pulling information out of you. It's actually the same in education. I work a lot in online education. You know, you don't want to push. We're talking about, you know, a lot about virtual teaching right now because of kids. You don't want to be in a situation where you're pushing stuff down kids' throats because they're stuffed, literally. They're not hungry for more information. And you cannot feed someone that's not hungry in the real world. And you also, you cannot teach, you cannot cannot give information to someone whose brain is saturated at that time. And so when you create a pool kind of conversation where you give a little bit of information, you allow the audience or the person in front of you to get it, digest it and say, oh, I want more. Then you're starting to have a dance of you providing something and then they're pulling more or they're they're ready for more. Yeah. And that's more effective because they're engaged. They're part of the conversation. They're steering the conversation. And so it's just a all in all, a better experience. So let's dig deeper on having a connection 
I know that one of the biggest struggles that speakers have is that they can't connect with their audience. They can't move them to actually taking an action. You know, when you have a speaking engagement, usually you want them to do something, whether it's buy your product or, you know, schedule a coaching session, whatever it is, you want to drive them to some sort of outcome. So what are the reasons why speakers can't connect with their audiences? And then how can they better connect with them? Yes, and that I see that all the time. And and I always say it's kind of like dating. It is a balance of when you ask for that action and what are you asking in return. Think about it this way. Let's say that you meet someone, you go on that first date, and they say, do you want to come meet my parents next weekend? And they'll say, hell no. Like, no way. Like, it's too soon, right? And so there's just a candidate to what you're asking that next action to be. And usually when that action is wrapped around something that they want, that you want them to do for you, it's less likely that they'll take that action. But when that action is more gifting and giving to them, they're more likely to take it. So things like buy my product can be hard to take action on a quote unquote first date engagement. Like this is the first time we met. The other thing is many people say, well, let's book a consultation as a follow-up. The truth is that I think that's uncomfortable because chances are that consultation is really about you selling me something. So I'm not ready for that. So you want to play the, what is called the give, give, get game to some extent. And it's like, how much more can you give these people to get them to trust you and engage with you before you are asking something from them. Hmm. Yeah, and that reminds me of social media, actually. That's the same thing with social media. If you're building a, a community on social media, you want to build their trust, provide value, provide value, provide value. And only once they trust you and they engage with you is then you want to actually offer them some sort of services. Some people do it backwards. They think that they're just going to build a community by offering services. And it's like, no, you need to actually provide value and build trust. And then you can offer your services. That really reminds me a lot about social media as well. Absolutely. I I did something called trust funnels that follows exactly that. Oh, that's interesting. Do you want to tell us more about that? Sure. So I don't, I don't believe in sales funnels. I believe that trust is that a sale is a consequence of a trust-based relationship well-built. And that by the time that the person gets to know you, if they have the need of the problem that you solve, that they will choose you because they now are feel safe with you. And so while the trust funnel, if you want, is a play on words and it's not very different from a sales funnel, I think it matters how you approach the whole process and the intention that you have. And that when you focus on building trust-based relationships, every step of the way, every action, let's say your market or a prospect client takes on the top level, they are actually, every time they open your post or read your newsletter or subscribe to your podcast, let's say, they're actually paying you. They're just using a different currency. They're using the currency of trust. And that currency of trust will eventually shift to currency of money, dollars. But it's important that you as a business see all those transactions happening and value them for what they are. They are investing in you just in a different coin. Young and profiters, are you dreaming about starting a course? Do you want to go from one to one to one to many and scale yourself? 
If you're thinking about starting a course, then you need to hear about Kajabi. Kajabi is the OG of course platforms. I've got creators in my network like Jenna Kutcher and Amy Porterfield who have been using Kajabi for over a decade. These ladies know what they're doing. They are literally the course queens. And so I took a page from their playbook and I started using Kajabi. I've been playing around with it because I'm launching a podcast course next month and I need a lot of features that only a course platform would have like Kajabi. And they've thought of it all. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. One of the smartest things that I did when I launched my course is I focused on the content. I lasered in on that. I made sure people were getting the best investment they could, that I wouldn't get any refunds, that people would tell their friends, and my course would be successful by word of mouth. And I did that by focusing on my content, what I was good at, and not all the tech. Leave the tech stuff for your course to Kajabi. They are experts in that area and they've thought of everything that you would ever need for your course. So if you wanna start your course, now is your chance. As you guys may know, I always ask my sponsors for a free trial for any software that we talk about on the show and Kajabi was super generous. They gave us a free 30-day trial that you can get at kajabi.com slash profiting. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash profiting. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com slash profiting. Go to kajabi.com slash profiting and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. I love that. I feel like that's such a cool analogy. I, I really like that. How about knowing more about our audience? Is it important to kind of discover who your audience is before you speak to them? And if so, like, how is that helpful? The more you know who you're talking to, the more you're going to be talking to them. I'm bilingual, right? I speak, I'm going to give you a very specific and basic example. I speak English and Spanish. If I don't know what language my audience is speaking, like literally, I can go to a Spanish event and speak in English and they're not going to get a word. So that's an extreme situation. But go down and think about it in the nuance of it is that you want to know as much as you can about the audience you're going to be talking to because you want to speak their language and you want to meet them where they are. You cannot meet them where they are if they don't if you don't know who who they are and where they are. So give us an example. Like, let's say we are talking to a group of kids. Like, how would you meet them where they are? Like, give us a real example of of how that's practical. Yes. So how do you meet them where they are? First of all, you ask questions. Let's say that it's kids and they're struggling, I don't know, with wellness. You're not going to talk about the dietary requirements of the of government dietary and nutritional kind of suggestions, you're going to talk about, by asking the question, you're going to say, do you like chocolate? What vegetables do you like? What part of the day or meal do you like best? Like you start asking them questions so they feel that you are talking to them. And then once they feel that you are in that room for their sake and and that you are willing to listen, even if they don't answer, the, the audience is always answering by clapping or nodding or shaking their head, right? And so, but just those, those prompts of questions will introduce the subject that you're going to be talking about and will f- make them feel that you are talking to them versus talking above them. 
Got it. And so I also know that getting emotion out of your audience is really important. That's important when it comes to engaging them, connecting with them. You really want to trigger some sort of emotion. So what are the different kinds of emotional triggers that we should go for? Is there ever a scenario where like fear is something that we should use? Or is there other emotions that often work better? How can we determine like what's the best emotion to trigger? Yeah, so it's not the best emotion, it's which emotion and when. So when I teach my speaking framework, it's all about the understanding that you're on a stage, you're sharing words, but you're also responsible for taking your audience through an emotional journey. And in the first beginning, you want to plant the seed of curiosity or maybe even hope by you introducing an idea that can solve a problem that the people might have. And then let's say that you spend a couple of minutes talking about the severity of the problem. Let's say that you're talking, I don't know, about um, COVID and what are the risks and what are the stats and this is what's happening. So there might be fear that might be felt while you're sharing that, but it's a fear that is used to help them understand that this is serious. But then you go back and say, you know what, but you don't have to feel that way. And that doesn't happen, need to happen to you if you practice these safety measures like a mask or social distancing or whatever. And so they go back to feeling hope. And then you invite them to take action. And so you're starting to get them excited and feel empowered. So it's not about which emotion works. It's about understanding which emotion you want them to feel throughout the journey of the talk you're delivering. Oh, you know, that's so interesting. And so, and it's also the same way that people write too. When you're writing a story, it's the same thing. You want to just like bring people through the ups and downs and, and really have them connect with what you're speaking to and being intentional about that. I feel like can help you craft the right story that will kind of engage people in the most powerful way. So I I think that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad that we, we talked about that. How about body language? What's your tips in terms of body language that you should have on stage? Is that also something similar in terms of emotions where it might change throughout your presentation? Or do you have like specific tips in terms of body language? I think there's basic rules like hands in the front, face your audience, don't give them back to the audience. There's some basic rules. But beyond that, I always coach my clients that if you are anchored solidly in the message that you have and anchored in the emotion and the intention behind it, your body language will reflect it. And I don't need to micromanage it as a coach. So there's all those basic no-nos, like don't give their back to the audience, don't hide your hands, that kind of, don't cover your mouth, that, that kind of thing. But beyond that, I like the, the speakers to be as authentic as they can be. Yeah. A fun fact, it's not totally related to body language, but TED speakers, they don't use podiums because there's a barrier between yeah. the speaker and the audience. Yeah. So that that's really interesting. Is there any other like fun facts in terms of like... Well, yeah. So I like men to not wear ties. I love men with ties and suits, but on a, on a stage, you don't want to wear a tie. You want to be a little bit relaxed. Maybe you can wear a, a jacket and a, and a shirt with the top button opened up. Is it because they seem more welcoming if they're not wearing a tie? Yes, more open, more relaxed, more at ease, more, at ease, more mm. like having a conversation. Yeah. Obviously, there's moments that you must wear it, but especially for TEDxes, I always told my, my speakers, don't wear a tie. Wear a mm. suit, but not a tie. Interesting. That's funny. 
Cool. So how about like just general mistakes that you see speakers make um, so that we can avoid them if we ever have a big speaking engagement? I think the number one is do not introduce yourself in the first two minutes. If nobody introduces you, then go on the stage, ask people a question or start with your presentation and then let later introduce yourself because nobody really wants to know who you are until you give them a reason to know who you are. Yeah. And then I also know that the first 60 seconds of a speech is super important. Can you tell us about that? That's exactly. So Yeah. So do not use the first 60 seconds to introduce yourself, but use the first 60 seconds to engage with the audience by asking them a question or telling them a present tense story. Got it. So your recommendation to open up a speech is usually to tell a story, right? Either what we call resonant questions or a story in present tense so that people feel that you are in the moment, in the scene right there. Yeah. Something else that I saw based on my research is that you actually help people write a script for their TED Talks. At least you previously did. Yes. And so... No, I I do, yeah. You do currently. And I had other speakers on, like Eric Edmides. He's a speaker from Mind Valley, And when I was talking to him about public speaking, he was saying that, like, he never scripts it and you should never script it. And basically you should always tell stories from your heart so they seem authentic. And you might have like a story journal where you have like a list of all your different stories that that you have written down somewhere. But when it comes to actually telling your stories in the moment, you should never be like referencing a script. It should always be kind of coming from your mind since you went through it yourself. So I understand both perspectives. Um, Sometimes on my podcasts, I do more scripting. Sometimes I do it more freestyle. It just depends. So I understand both perspectives and see the benefits of both. But help us understand why you think that scripting is the right approach, at least for, for the TED Talks. Yeah. So there's a difference between scripting and memorizing and scripting and rehearsing. So scripting, especially if you have not spoken before, you want to script because you want to organize your thoughts prior to your engagement. And then you start anchoring those thoughts in the points you want to make. But yes, absolutely, the stories will probably just flow because you had that experience. The thing with a TEDx is if you have only 17 minutes to talk, you don't want to be completely free flow because then you're going to be stopped mid-story at minute 17. Um, So it really depends on the context and the purpose of the speaking engagements. I believe that a story is an element in a talk, not the talk itself. We select which stories you want to tell, and then you might free flow through that moment, that two minutes of the story, but it is within a, a through line that you've set out to share with the world. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And even for me, like coming from podcasting and and doing this, my best interviews are the ones that I've scripted out and then I don't follow the script. (laughs) Or like I follow the script, but like I kind of know it. I kind of know what to say. Like, and I have all these ideas that I wrote down and then in the moment I'm natural and I just kind of reference it. I don't read it. Those are always make for the best things because it's like you've just fully prepared. And so like your brain has kind of memorized the important parts. You kind of know your flow. I feel like it's I feel like some people, they they really stick to like no scripting, just all natural. I'm going to wing it. And I feel like those people, at least when it comes to podcasting, like they don't have a great show. And I think it's because 
yeah. they don't prepare enough. So the scripting is like uh, a sandbox for where from where you're going to play. And so if you've done the job of scripting it up front, then you don't have to even read it. You'll remember that framework and you're going to follow it. Yeah. How about introverts? So me being an extrovert, I'm totally fine talking. I can talk all day, but there's a lot of people who have a lot of trouble speaking, even in a small group, even in a team meeting, they just have trouble speaking up. So like, what are your tips to help introverts come out of their shell and, you know, not be so terrified about speaking up on stage? It's really about being so committed to your message. I've seen a lot of introverts wake up and kind of really blossom when their message becomes more important than their fear of speaking. And so it's really about why are you speaking? What is the purpose? And when you are so passionate about that message you want to share, while it still might be hard, you will overcome it for the sake of that. It's like a mama bear will get energy from somewhere when she needs to protect her cubs. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This conversation was great. The last question I ask all my guests is, what is your secret to profiting in life? Ooh, oh, yeah, I know. Having fun. No fun, no profit. <laughs> I love that. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? Absolutely. You can come to mastersinclarity.com and mastersinclarity on Instagram. Follow me and uh, yeah. That's where you find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dolores. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or comment on YouTube, SoundCloud, or your favorite platform. Reviews make all the hard work worth it. They're the ultimate thank you to me and the Yap team. The other way to support us is by word of mouth. Share this podcast with a friend or family member who may find it valuable. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. You can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. Until next time, this is Hala signing off.